0: We're going to talk about the crowds and the calling that uh, we just read about here in Mark chapter 3. So Lord, we just ask that what takes place in our time of looking at your word is for your glory and your purpose. We ask, Lord, that our hearts, our minds, uh, our abilities to hear you, um, that we are open to what you want to say and do during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to jump right in, uh, because our story starts here that we're reading today. Our passage is in verse 7. And in verse 7, it says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. We have just gone through a bunch of controversy that Jesus has been in, and and I know that in our lives, we all face different controversies from time to time. And I, I see Jesus withdrawing. He's withdrawing from the controversy, but now he's got all these people that are following him. The point I want to make a little bit here is that, is that in this instance, we, we see Jesus drawing away, and a crowd is following him, but oftentimes Jesus would draw away to a quiet place, especially after he did some ministry and uh, it was very hectic for him, he would draw away to a quiet place and he would pray. Something for us to note in our own lives, in our hectic lives, in our busy lives, that we need to draw away. We need to find that we would step aside from what we normally do to engage with God. When I was in Uganda, I was a phrase that I would, I, would, I would say again and again, and it would be this. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for me. And so if it was good enough for Jesus to draw away in times of busyness, and it's good enough for me to draw away, it's good enough for you to draw away, to have some time where you can slow down and you can take a deep breath. And you can say, God, thank you for what you have been doing and what you're going to do. But Jesus, as he draws away, um, this great, this, this, this crowd uh, is around him. And, and when you read where they came from, and the list is there that they came from, you see that if you were to take a map and, and, uh, and, and say, where, where are these places? They came to Jesus, and some of them came 200 kilometers. They were 200 kilometers away. Now, that's not very much if you're in a car, but we're not in a car here. At best, they might have had a donkey, but probably not. They walked that distance to be with Jesus. And then we see that there's this great diversity that Jesus draws from, that there's people that are from Jerusalem and from Judea, which would have been Jewish people. This would have been a group of Jewish people. But then when you look at people from uh which you did a great job of pronouncing this, uh, Idumi, that when you look that Jesus is, that he's drawing people from this area and from across the Jordan, now we have a mix of Gentiles and we have uh, Jews. And then we go from Tyre, Tyre and, and Sidon, and here you see that this is predominantly Gentiles. What, what kind of fascinated by this is that I often think that The Gentiles were were reached after Jesus' death, his resurrection, when we get into the book of Acts. But Jesus was already reaching the Gentiles. His main focus was the Jews because he came to the Jews first. But even he had this reach of diversity and people coming 200 kilometers away to be with him because something was happening. Something was going on. And I desire that that what we do here is that we draw people from all walks of life with great diversity. I want more diversity in our church than what we have right now. I want all to feel welcome those that have plenty and those that don't, those that come from different backgrounds ethnic grounds. I want us to be a place where people can feel welcomed here. And so Jesus drew Gentiles, he drew Jews to come together. And Isaiah 49, 6 speaks of this, that he it says in there that 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 the Messiah would be the light to the Gentiles. The light to the Gentiles. So Jesus drew this crowd. Um and, uh, and the crowd that he drew uh, was a big crowd. I don't know if you've ever been in a big crowd. When I was uh, somewhere in my, uh, couple years out of high school, a b- bunch of us guys went to a, 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 a um, uh, what do you call it? Oh, come on, it'll come to me. <laughs> Look at my notes. Um, There was a big outdoor concert, big youth rally, and it was called Jesus Northwest. It was down in Washington, and it drew drew thousands of people that would come to this, and it was a big music concert, and so my buddies and I, we load up in a car, and we headed off to Jesus Northwest, and we we hung out there for the weekend. It was fantastic. It was great. And the first night, it was about 3,000 people in this open area, and the band is playing. Of course, we're doing our thing, whatever that is. And, uh, and then we get, we get done with that. We, we get up in the morning, and we're talking about, you know what we're going to do tonight? Tonight, we're going to see how close we can get to the stage. And so the evening came, and the big crowds were there, and we gathered into the big spot, and, and we're, we're there, and we're, we, we, uh, we start to maneuver our way through the crowd, and um and, and as we do that, the main event hasn't happened yet. The, band, the bands are playing. Some people are sitting. Some people are standing. We're kind of maneuvering our way around. And as we, uh, as we, as we kind of start getting about halfway there, um, the, uh, the opening band stops, and, and there's a little bit of a break, and they change things over, and you can make your way a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, the, uh, the main band comes up. I can't remember who it was, but everybody stood And they start to cheer. 3,000 people are standing there. And what happened next was just incredible. I'd never experienced it in my life. Everybody stood, and everybody started to push forward. And uh, I... I had, I could not stop it. Inside of me, something inside of me said, no, and I, I'm trying to stop this from happening. And I realized if I don't go with the crowd, I'm gonna be trampled by the crowd. I'm gonna be under the crowd if I don't go with the crowd. And so I just go with the crowd and, get, and I get pushed in further into uh, where I wanna go, but it feels very s- scary, kind of spooky to have this crowd just push. And the, for the first time, I thought, wow, this is how people get trampled. This is what it feels like when a crowd just moves and you have no control over it whatsoever. I give you that picture because what happens is is this crowd gathers. And I think, when I think about a crowd, I often think of a picture, a good Sunday school picture like this. Jesus is sitting with a group of people and they're around him and it looks pretty good. It looks pretty relaxing. But when you read, and we're going to look a little bit deeper into this, uh, what we read here, this is actually probably a little bit more what it was like. Here's a scrum. Here's a, a media scrum. And they're pressing in on that. I, I can't even hardly pick out the person in the middle. Um, I think it's this guy right here is uh, who they're trying to talk to. And, um, but uh, there's this pressing in that happens. And that's what we're actually experiencing right now is that there is this pressing in to Jesus. And so there are two sides to this crowd that is pressing in. And, and, I, and I want us to see what two sides are here. The first side that's here is those that were needy. They were needy. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, get a boat because uh, we need to get away from this. The crowd is crushing. The crowd is pressing in. And it says, for he had healed many so that all who had disease pressed around him to touch him. And that word press around actually can be translated, fell upon him. Those that had need, those who were sick, fell upon Jesus. And as I read that and I studied that, I thought, yeah, you know, I get that. I get that. Because there are times that in my life that I am in such need that I am falling on Jesus. And it's okay. I think of this picture here. This is uh, Thomas Blackshear's painting of Jesus holding up a, a fellow who's in total need. He's exhausted. He can't stand on his own. And so when I think about falling upon Jesus, it is a total falling, a total dependency on him. I heard a guy say once that uh, somebody accused him of using Jesus as a crutch. And he looked at him, and he says, no, he says, you got it all wrong. He says, Jesus is not a crutch for me. He's a stretcher. Like, I don't just, I don't just cobble along with him. Like, I'm full out laying there. I need Jesus type of thing. And this is, this is what we have the crowd People back then couldn't go to the doctor. I mean, they could, but we didn't have the medical facility or the medical knowledge that we have now to get a, to get a scan to find out what, you know, or get a biopsy to find out if we have cancer or not. That wasn't a thing back then. Jesus comes along and he's healing people and they're going, he is it. He is it. And they are falling upon him going, if I could just touch him, I could be healed. And Jesus is calling us to just fall upon him. And if you're here today and you are going, I am weak, I am weary, I want to tell you, Jesus says, fall on me. Be this guy right here. Let me hold you, Jesus is saying. So I love this picture of this crowd that is falling on Jesus because he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. There's, a, there's another aspect. Oh, I, yeah, I, I love this song by Matt, Matt uh, Mayer, uh, Here is here. It, is it says, uh, Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, O oh God, how I need you. Where, deep, where sin runs deep, grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness in Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, O oh God how I need you. God wants us to see him that way. He wants us to see him that way. He's calling you to come to him. Well, there's another group that was there, and that was the evil spirits. And uh, here we read in verse 11, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, you are the Son of God. They fell, not upon Him, but they fell before Him. James two nineteen. It says, "Even the demons believed and shuddered." The spirit, the evil spirit, knew who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. He was. This, he is God, who is all authority, all power. Rest in Christ. And they saw him and they fell down. They could not help but fall down before him because they understood who he was. So you have some who are falling on him and you have some that are falling before him. And that's who he is. That's who our God is. He even has the authority to say to them, do not, do not. Make myself known, because his time had yet come for all to know who he was. But this got me thinking. Um, Can I get the evil spirits fall down before him? But the question I began to ask myself is, is is there ever a time I need to fall down before him? Is there ever a time that you and I need to fall before him? And I thought, yeah. (laughs) It's in repentance. It's in repentance. You know, today, I think that because we're so filled, we talk so much about love, that repentance has gone silent. We don't, we don't talk a lot about repentance, but repentance is falling before God because He is holy. Repentance is recognizing that I am not going in the right direction, and I need to repent. I think what's hard in, you know, as I, uh, as I think about it for, for me Growing up, that word repentance doesn't, didn't have a good picture. It, it gave me a poor picture of God because of the way that it was presented. But just because it was presented that way doesn't mean that that's the way I should look at it. I talked uh, last week about, um, about Sabbath, and, and I had a great phone call from someone who gave me their story about Sabbath. And it, I so appreciated that phone call. And I can relate to this when it comes to repentance. Because if I think about repentance, I think about somebody getting up and, and talking and, and giving me the message of turn or burn. If you don't turn, if you don't repent, you're going to burn in hell. Well, there's truth to that. But I feared God. Like, I feared that if I do something wrong, God is going to condemn me to hell. And so the idea of repentance, there was so much fear around it that I think it it drew me away not to repent, not to come to God, because I fear of what he's going to say to me or what he's going to do to me. I don't have a good picture of what repentance is. But that's not at all. What repentance is. Repentance is actually full of grace. It's full of forgiveness. It's full of love. Because it's our God saying, Come to me. Come to me. It's the father and the prodigal son who, when the prodigal, when the father sees a prodigal son coming home, who he is in a place of repentance, what does the father do? He runs to him. runs to him I like to picture it now as God as a child who is coming to a, a parent and the parent is down on one knee arms open and that child is running into their arms see when I am seeking God in repentance it is not something in which God is going well you know I'm glad you finally got your act together But instead, God is saying, yes, finally you see me. And it is a hard thing to repent. Pride is in the way. Shame gets in the way. But before God, God, all of heaven, it says, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Imagine All of heaven rejoices when somebody repents. And I looked at that as as salvation, and I, I know that is the case, that when somebody comes to know Jesus, heaven is throwing a party. But I can't help but think that when I come to the place of going, God, I am not living my life the way I should, and I repent, that there is something that takes place in the heavenly realms as well. And I want to take this opportunity to see that as the, as the evil spirits fall down before God, because they see him as a holy, and for them, they fear. For them, they tremble because they have no relationship with him. But for us who do, for us who have a relationship with him, it shouldn't be one of fear, but it should be one that says, God is calling me to this. And there's nothing better than being in a right relationship with God. Repentance is not man's idea. It's God's idea. It's God's idea. Jesus himself said that that he came and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he himself called for repentance. So, I want to take a moment. I want to pause right now. I say, why not? Why not right now that you would say before God, God, is there something that I need to repent from? Let's do that right now. Lord, it is true that every hour we need you. And Lord, that you have said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to come. That as scripture tells us that when we confess our sins, God, you are faithful and just forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, let us come to you with, with hearts not full of fear. But let us see you as you are, calling us to come into right relationship because God, you know that's what's best for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have heard our prayers. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, a few minutes we have left, I want to talk about the calling. So we move into the calling. Uh, Here, it's very it's very interesting. Jesus goes up onto a mountaintop, and uh, he calls those whom he desires to come with him. It tells us in verse 13. And there's a connection here. I love looking at scripture and saying, how is what we've seen here right now? How does it relate to the Old Testament? And we see that that Moses goes up onto a mountaintop, when we read in the Old Testament, he receives instructions from God for the Israelites, and Jesus is now going up onto a mountaintop to meet with God, and he's choosing the 12 disciples, and he's giving them instructions, and he's telling them, this is what you're going to do, this is what I'm calling you to do. It's also important that we understand that that he chooses 12 because there is 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus is establishing himself, his authority, his, his sonship. 12 is significant because there's 12 tribes of Israel. And he's saying, I'm establishing a new covenant. I'm doing a new thing. And I want Israel to know. I want the world to know. I have not forgotten. I have come to do a new thing. And so he calls these 12 to come. As he calls them to come, and he calls them to follow him, to be a disciple of Jesus means more than just following somebody around. More than just going, okay, I'm going to hang out with this guy called a rabbi. It was so much deeper and so much greater than that. Yes, they were with a rabbi 24 7. They were with him always. They were were to be like a rabbi. So they would dress like a rabbi, they would talk like a rabbi. You could tell whose, whose students were who by the way they dressed and the way they talked. And then they would do what the rabbi did. Because the rabbi would teach and he would say, this is what the law means and this is how you need to practice it. And each rabbi, each Pharisee, they had their interpretation of how you're going to interpret the law. And so much the same, but there were some differences as well. And so here you have this calling to be a disciple and it was much more than just following somebody around. It was an all out, I am following this rabbi 100%. Everything they do, everything they say, I am following them. This is what it meant to be called. And so Jesus is calling these 12, and this is what they're being called to. They're called to be a disciple. Jesus, he did things differently, he taught differently. He didn't teach like the other rabbis. He did not teach the law as interpretation. He said, I am the Torah. I am the law. I am the fulfillment of it. That's what set him apart. Not only did he say that, but he also taught in a way of saying that he wasn't just teaching them about God, he was teaching them that he was God. Here's so. This is what's so important for us, is that he says this in John. He says, if you want to know God, know me. If you want to see God, see me. If you've seen me, you've seen God. If you know me, you know God. I will, till the day I die, not stop preaching this. Because if we want to be like Jesus or we want to know God, if we want to see God, we need to be like Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. Waste your time on Jesus. If you have any free time, waste your time on Jesus. You'll never go wrong by wasting your time on Jesus. I know that I can waste a lot of time, and I do sometimes. You know, I think, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I can put Instagram back on my phone. I put Instagram back on my phone, and then I start doing the infinity scroll. Yeah? Okay, I, thank you. I know I'm, you know, I know you, TikTok, you probably never do that or anything like that. YouTube, you never just endlessly watch a YouTube one after another, nothing like that, right? I got to delete the thing. I can waste time on that, but man, wasting time on Jesus, I'll never go wrong wasting time on Jesus. You'll never go wrong wasting time on Jesus. Because when we waste time on Jesus, guess what? We get to see God. We get to be with God. That's what the call is, to be a disciple of Jesus. So, one last point here, and then I'll wrap it up. And I thought this is really cool. Go back, go to look at verse 14. And it says this, and he appointed the twelve. The word appointed there. In your Bibles, if you have a King James, it'll say ordained. But everybody, most everybody uh, translates this appointed. But as I began to look at this and read different commentators, they they actually said the word can be translated and maybe should be translated as made. He made the twelve. What's significant about that? Well, it's the same word that in the, in, in, when you translate the Old Testament into Greek and you get to Genesis 1-1, it says that God made the heavens and earth. Same word. Same word. Jesus made the 12. Jesus created the 12. Jesus is doing a work in the 12. And I looked and I thought, wow, that's amazing. God is doing a work in us. We are being made into his likeness, into him. Not that we are God, but we're being made into his likeness. Something is happening when we are called to be his disciples. Something is happening in your life right now. Because God is always up to something, and he's always doing something. It just wasn't for these 12 that God made them. He has made you for a purpose and a reason. And you know, it will change over time. As we change, it changes. For the 12, we read here that he made them and he says that, that, um, that, you, that you're going to uh, go and preach. You're going to have authority to cast out demons. That's what he made them for, but he has made us as well. He has made us as well. And he's doing a good work. We are a new creation. Each day we wake up, we have an opportunity to be renewed in him, to walk with him. So, I'm going to come to my practice. And I've been giving these sheets out, and, and I want us to continue doing this. Why is that? Because we don't walk with Jesus by accident. You don't just accept Jesus as one and done. It's a continual walking with him. And so last week, I I added another column to this. And and so in this, uh, the first one is, is just evaluating nine areas of how does this area of my life look like Jesus? If I want to be made into his image, if I want to be like him, if I want to be a disciple that is moving forward and not stagnant, I need to come and and, and ask the second question, which is, What is the current rhythm of my life that might shape this? And then this week, so that was, that's what i have given out uh, for the last couple of weeks. This week, it goes a little deeper. I have another sheet, the nine areas. And the first one you're going to ask is, Who am I? Who am I becoming? Write out your identity statement Who are you in Christ? It's good to know that. Who are you? Are you who the world says? Or are you who he says? And then secondly is, I, in Christ, I am. And so I'm looking here to just simply uh, state that, that what is God's vision for me? In each of these areas, what is God's vision for me to become? What is a vision for me to become in my relationship with him? in my relationship with others, in my relationship to work, in my relationship to rest, in my relationship to technology. What is his vision for you in all those areas? Why is this important? Because God is purposeful and he calls us to be purposeful. And this is being purposeful. I would encourage you to take time just to say, okay, God, I'll go and evaluate these areas of my life because I want to walk with you. And there's nothing better than wasting my time on you. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for your scripture. Lord, um, it is full, it is rich. I thank you, God, for our life with you. Lord, you have not called us to simply acknowledge that you are our Savior, you are our Lord, but Lord, you call us to practice it, to live in it. May we be people who recognize that we can fall on you and we need to fall before you. Lord, that we would be a church that doesn't just simply acknowledge that we are disciples, but Lord, we are fully committed to what that looks like. Lord, I pray that we would have your vision for each aspect of our life. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.